Welcome to another episode of the Odd Checker podcast. We're halfway through the World Cup. The knockout stages are about to begin. We witnessed one of the worst games of World Cup football in history last night between England and Belgium. So we'll glaze over that. I'm joined by Michael Cox and Kev Hatchard, two big names in the in the football world. They're going to be going through their thoughts so far in the World Cup and also taking us through where they think the value lies going into the knockouts and who they think is the value bet to win. This is the Odds Checker podcast. We're going to go straight into it. And first of all, let's look back at what we've seen already. And Michael, is it fair to say that maybe, I mean, I saw your, your tweet before the World Cup, maybe saying that the, the top four teams were, were better than the rest. After what we've seen, have you had to reevaluate that? Are the, are the, the favourites maybe not so far ahead as, as they looked on paper? Yeah, I think that's very much true. And I think, uh, you know, when you looked at the odds before the tournament, the, the favourites were shorter than usual. Um, and yeah, it's opened up. I mean, none of the favourites have been overwhelmingly impressive. Obviously, one of them, Germany, and out of the out. tournament completely. And yeah. they would have been the one team I wouldn't have thought had a chance of going out. So yeah, it's been open. Um, and I think that's really been a little bit more because the big, t- big sides have been below par rather than the outsiders being good. But I think it makes for great entertainment. And how do you, looking at those favourites, I mean, I'll quickly rattle through the market now as it stands. Uh, Brazil, 15 to 4, favourites just ahead of Spain at 19 to 4. Belgium, 15 to 2. England, uh, fourth favourites now, came in uh, a little bit after that result last night at 8 to 1. And then France, who have drifted out despite getting seven points in the group out to 9 to 1. Croatia, the big movers, into 12. I mean, how do you assess that? Does that look about right to you? And, and who of those teams who maybe have underwhelmed, can you, can you, do you see going forward from here? I think Croatia's an interesting bet at 12s because I think they've looked pretty cohesive. Their star players, if you like, uh, have impressed. Modric, playing a bit further forward, um, has looked impressive. They, Zlatko Dalic, the coach, has been something of a unifier after a lot of the players fell out with his predecessor, Ante Cacic. Um, so I think on and off the field, they've looked good. I think he showed a strong hand when he ditched Nikola Kalinic uh, after he'd refused to come on. Um, and you look at the other favourites, what's fascinating about this so far is they all have their flaws. You know, Spain defensively have had a few wobbly moments. There have been doubts over just David a couple, De Gea, yeah. just a few. <laughs> um, so they've certainly not looked massively impressive. France, does Didier Deschamps know his best team? Does he know his best tactical setup? I'm not sure he does. So you look at a lot of those favourites and they haven't really impressed Brazil perhaps not as flawed, but we haven't seen them sparkle as we thought maybe they might. It, it sparkled that important. I mean, I, anyone who follows me on, on Twitter will know that I'm, I'm fairly well into Uruguay in, in, in the outright market. And, and I'm happy purely because they never look like they're going to concede a goal. Is it a case of, when you look at Brazil, you look at Spain and these teams who aren't really showing their best. But then actually, what are, you, what are you looking for in a winner? What are you looking for in someone that can go the whole way? Yeah, I suppose you look at Portugal at the Euros and they seemingly clunk their way through. But there is great value in getting the result at all costs. And you wouldn't necessarily go against them doing it again. I'm sure we'll look at that Portugal-Uruguay game in more detail. But you know, you've got two very solid teams there with two very good coaches. You know, And the result is all important. So you could look at it that way. But... You would think that you'd want to send, send a statement. So if you're Brazil, you'd want to have sparkled a bit more just to maybe send a message to other teams. I'm not sure they've done that yet. No. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think Uruguay-Portugal is the first knockout game, isn't it? And I think that will be a game where we say, ah, this is what the knockout stages are like. Because I think it's going to be tight. I think it's going to be cagey. I wouldn't be surprised if it was nil-nil and goes to extra time. 
I think um, you know Pepe and, and Suarez is a clash that will uh, probably be more exciting than, than some of the football played. Um, I'd fancy Uruguay, actually. I agree with you. I mean, I, I really don't think they've been very good going forward, but they haven't looked like conceding. They've got maybe the best centre-back partnership in the competition when you consider they play together at club level. So, uh, yeah, I quite... It almost looks like you're wearing a Uruguay 38 shirt there as well in, your, in what you're actually, coming. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, the, the light blue and black. Yes, uh, yeah, that wasn't deliberate. Yeah. <laughs> but... Taking away, I mean, I've had a, a lot of debates with people in the office who, who continue to to bang the drum about about um, you know, teams like Brazil and, and France being very good, and teams like who maybe unfancied beforehand, like Colombia, not being so good. But if you were dropped in, having not watched any football, having not heard of the players, and you watched this World Cup from the, from the outset, who would you say has been the best team so far? I think possibly Mexico, actually, for the first two games. I'm not quite sure what happened in the, in the final game because yeah. I, I was watching the other game. Um, but I thought their performance against Germany, and I appreciate now we maybe have to reconsider how good Germany were, but it was just tactically brilliant. Uh, you know, I thought their, their counter-attacking was sensational. Um, so in an attacking sense, them. But like you say, you want someone who's not going to concede goals. You look at recent World Cup winners, they usually keep three out of four clean sheets in the knockout phase. So then I would probably say Brazil, who I think haven't really looked like conceding with the exception of one corner against uh, Switzerland. Tricky thing with Mexico is that, as Michael quite rightly says, against teams that come onto them where they can counter-attack and they have space to do so, they look great. But Sweden are a bit more risk-averse than that. Um, and they just made the most of the opportunities they had. So you'd look at that and, and worry. But against Brazil, who will attack them, you would think that they'd have more counter-attacking opportunities in that game. Yeah, and I think Lozano's been their best player, and he's yeah. going to be up against yeah. probably Brazil's worst player in Danilo or uh, Fagner if he comes in, mm. or if he keeps his place, I should say. So that's an area where they really can get some joy. And have you been surprised that Brazil have looked fairly unspectacular I mean except for that first 15 minutes maybe against Switzerland followed which, which ended in that amazing Coutinho goal they've looked fairly workmanlike and, and just a team who are happy to, to, to nick a goal but stay pretty solid at the back has that been something we expect to see from this team? I don't think we're going to see any flair from them now I mean I agree with you that it's the defence is really what counts but yeah. I mean looking at those games against Costa Rica I thought that was when we were going to see a little bit of Samba magic or whatever cliche you want to use. but Neymar have... flicking the ball over his head in the corner flag at 94 minutes. Yeah, that was good. Well, once they'd gone ahead in stoppage time, it was, it was a bit of brought flair. Put himself to tears with that. With that yeah, so. but now it's just going to be workmanlike and efficient, I think. And they might even make changes and you know, be a little bit more defensive with Fernandinho coming in, maybe. I mean, the balances look good in midfield. You've got Casemiro's discipline, Paulinho able to break from midfield as we saw with that goal that he scored against Serbia. And Coutinho, is, he's been the one, really, that's sparkled so far, I think. It's fair to say as well, because normally we look at, at these World Cups and where they're held as being fairly significant. And, and normally, I think, when, when a World Cup's held in South America, as we saw in Brazil, South American teams come to fall. When it's in Europe, often European teams win. We've seen Germany go out, and we've seen a lot of South American teams playing very well, or Central American teams in terms of Mexico. Colombia, obviously, were fantastic against Poland. We've got Uruguay as well. So is that a bit of a non sequitur looking at where these teams are from? Is it a case of just when you're on the pitch, it's the best team? Yeah, I think it's probably less relevant than it used to be, you know, especially with so many South Americans playing in, in Europe. Um, and I just think globalisation in general just means <laughs> that uh, it's less of an issue really to travel to the other side of the world, as we've seen with even the supporters. You know, I doubt you would have got such incredible numbers of supporters going to these games 50 years ago. The world's just a smaller place. We haven't been in Russia briefly. I can say there were, there were far, far more Colombians than I think Europe, Europeans away from Russia put together. So uh, I think that would no longer feel like an away game. Um, we haven't spoken about England yet. Given this is going out on, uh, on Friday morning, the morning after the game, and, and that most 
big publications seemingly are doing daily podcasts. I think we'll try and steer clear of the debate as to whether or not it was correct for England to uh, to, to be defeated yesterday. I mean, Roberto Martinez played Adnan Yanezai in a desperate attempt to lose the game and he ended up being the match winner. So, uh, But um, how do we assess this England performance so far, Kev? I mean, obviously, that in terms of momentum and good feeling, that last-minute winner against Tunisia was fantastic. Beating Panama, I, mean, I still think the score was hugely flattering to England, but even so, emphatically. And then last night, playing a friendly match mid-competition. I thought it was a mistake. Yeah, I think you made too many changes. Uh, I can understand... The theory behind protecting Harry Kane, but players get injured in training, and I just think it sent the wrong message. Maybe you know, I know Kane would understand the decision, but I think if you've got somebody who you know has looked sharp so far, I think it would have been an opportunity uh, against Belgium to play something close to your best team. I understand the arguments about fatigue and what have you, but I just think there was an opportunity there for England. And I think a game against Japan in the last 16 would have been more straightforward than a game against Colombia. That's not to say Japan aren't a good team uh, or haven't played well, because in a couple of the games they have. But uh, I just think it felt like a mistake that lost momentum. I'm not sure how much it taught Gareth Southgate. I wouldn't have made that many changes. I disagree. I mean, yeah. I think the fatigue... I said is... we weren't going to do it, and we're going to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the fatigue is an issue. We didn't want to top the group because it's a harder route to the final. I just can't see the incentive for for winning the game. But so far, I think England have been good, I mean, good against relatively weak opposition. The thing that concerns me is I think we will concede big chances against yeah, better so sides. Um, I'm not sure about the way we defend. The, the wing-back so high up the pitch, it exposes the back three. I think Henderson, when he comes up against more intelligent opponents could be a little bit overrun. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think we will... If we get past Colombia, then I think we'll get through the quarterfinal. But I can imagine quite a hefty defeat against a really good team. A really good team. I think we saw it early on against Panama. There was that... I mean, Carl Walker's obviously very good in that right-hand side because he's quick with his, when he's facing goal and can get back. But Panama, it's easy to, f- to forget, got in behind Harry Maguire on that left-hand side time, basically about three times in the first 10 minutes there because they had, they had some pace and could get in behind. And that's yeah, and, and there was, there's, there's been quite a few concessions of possession by the uh, mm. defenders under very little pressure. Yeah. And I think that's frustrating because that's, the, you know, that's what Southgate's game has been all about, isn't it? Bringing in technical defenders and you know, Walker and, and Stones have just conceded the ball really stupidly, really, against teams who haven't punished them. And, and that won't be the case in the knockout stages. A word on Southgate quickly, before, because I think he's someone who's, um, you know, got the trust of a nation now and, and the adoration of a nation even. But was it quite strange last night? I mean, I know you've already said that you didn't agree with the decision to rest Kane, Kev, but when he, everything he said about wanting to win the group, wanting to go forward, wanting to win, and then when you're 1-0 down, bringing on Danny Welbeck when you've got Harry Kane sitting on the bench, has he lost yeah. some of that aura about him after that? It, no, I don't think so, but it didn't chime with what he said. Um I just felt... I've been very impressed with him so far. I think he's spoken very eloquently. I think he's played the media game very, very well. I think what's important about him is he seems to have the trust of his players, um, which I think is very, very important. I think when that isn't the case, you can see that pretty quickly and it does have an effect on performance. So I think that is uh, very important. And he knows a lot of these players as well who've come through the youth system as well. So I've been impressed with him. I've been impressed with them in general and their enterprise, but I just thought... Belgium was a misstep. I, I, I do understand the fatigue arguments. I understand, in theory, the route all the way through. But I just think, with the knockout record they have, to end up with Colombia in the last 16, which is a winnable game, but a tricky game, I'm not sure it was the best way to go. How much of a difference do you think it would make if James 
his injury does keep him out of the game for England? I think a big difference um, because we've seen a couple of flashes of what he's capable of, certainly against Poland. I've commentated on him a lot this season for Bayern and he's rediscovered his confidence and, and a bit of the magic. We've seen him have a real a genuine effect on Bayern's performances. You look at his numbers, especially in the second half of the season, uh, they were very good. So uh, it would obviously be a, a huge blow to them if he's not fit. We'll get to, unless anything, anything to add on England, we'll get back to them when we go through the knockout ties, which we should get into now. Um, not often I get to prove Michael wrong, but this is one of them. France-Argentina is actually the first knockout game, so ah. I, can, I, I, can, I can tell you that oh, now. Geez. That is the three o'clock kickoff on Saturday. I mean, this is both a fascinating and troubling tie in equal measure in, in my eyes, where you've got two, I mean, Argentina, I think how they've, they've managed to qualify here when I think a few teams uh, who deserve this place in the last 16, the likes of Morocco and Senegal, in my eyes, far, far more than them, up against the France team, who, as I said, after getting seven points, have drifted out in the market. I mean, where do we start here? Well, I think Argentina are still a complete shambles, really. I think they got lucky against Nigeria. I know France have not played to their potential, but I think their problems really are in the attacking third. And I think they're relatively solid at the back. Um, you know, aside from that really baffling MTT handball, they haven't really been exposed defensively. I think with Kante in front of the defence, um, they have a chance of, of minimising Messi's influence. And I, I really just thought Argentina's um, group stage performances were dreadful. I thought Mascherano in that last game was really hopeless and, and the defenders just don't have much of a relationship. New goalkeepers come in, did okay in the last game, but you know, relatively untested at this level. So I think France are quite strong favourites here. I mean, go through the market quickly. In, in 90 minutes, France 6-4. The draw is 21 to 10. Argentina are 5 to 2. To qualify, France are 7 to 10 favourites with Argentina um, around about the 5 to 4 mark. Kev, where do, where do you lie on this one? Well, I imagine Michael could have written about 50,000 words on Argentina's tactical <laughs> nightmare uh, so far. I, I, I agree largely with Michael um, in, in the sense that there's been no, no coherence in terms of what Sampaoli's approach has been. Started with four, went to three, which we'd seen was a disaster against Spain in that friendly when they lost 6-1 and then reverted to the four. The, the problem, one of the problems I think has been, as incredible as Messi is, he's become the sole focus and the coach hasn't helped that because almost every press conference that Sampaoli gives, it's about... Messi being the central figure, how can we help Messi? We haven't tailored it to, to what Messi can do, and it's put such enormous pressure on him um, that I, I just think it's become a very difficult situation for Messi. He obviously got that incredible goal against Nigeria, but as Michael says, if N'Golo Conte can nullify him to some extent, that's going to be a big plus for France. But on the other hand, I've not been massively impressed with France. They have looked defensively solid, but there's been so little urgency about them. I mean, the, the game against Denmark, I, it was such a missed opportunity to make a statement. Mm. Um, I, and I wasn't hugely impressed with them in that game or particularly in the other two. So it's a really intriguing one, this. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone would fear either team going forward. I mean, a, qu a quick word on, on manager Sam Pauli because people may not know much about him before this if they didn't watch any Spanish football or, or, or see Chile in the last World Cup. But it's it's troubling for me to see a guy who, whose Chile team were very unlucky to go out to Brazil in, in Brazil and then a Sevilla team who, who were great to watch as well. How has he gone from being seen as something of a kind of tactician and a, a bit of a master at it to being so hapless in tournament football? 
Yeah, it's been quite sad, really. I agree with you. Um, I mean, I think he doesn't have the players to play his usual style, the heavy pressing style. The defenders aren't quick enough. I don't think the whole side is mobile enough, really. And I think he's struggled, really, to find the balance between his usual philosophy and something that suits the players. But I agree. I I don't really know what they're left with now. I think it's um, pretty much messy. Uh, you know, just depending upon him to do something brilliant as he did against Nigeria. I don't think Rojo's going to come up with another goal. So, yeah, I, I really don't think they'll get past France. I like the quote from Rojo's family saying, we can believe it was his right leg he only uses that to stand on. Which I, thought was good. <laughs> I, I agree with Michael in the sense that it is sad because Sampaoli was so desperate to do this job and so desperate to do it well, but he doesn't have those tools at his disposal and also think he hasn't had the time really to kind of put that framework in yeah. place because their qualification campaign was so chaotic. So, you know, if they go out, does he survive? That's the thing. And if he does survive, can he then build things going forward? It is unbelievable given their, you know, their, their qualification campaign, which needed Messi to come out of the wilderness, that Argentina is still just four wins away from a World Cup. I mean, that would be absolutely stunning if they could pull that off. Where, where, where does the value lie here? Where, where are we looking for our bet in the, uh, in the France-Argentina game? Well, it, it kind of depends on, on your view on Argentina and if they can put up any kind of challenge and how long that would last. What I thought was quite interesting was that the draw's 21 to 10 and if you back Argentina, draw no bet, you can get that, I think, at around about 147 to 100 on one of the, uh, one of the sites. I 29 saw, to 20 in marathon now. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's 29 to 20. So, you know, if, you, if you've taken enough from Messi's performance with that goal against Nigeria and, and you feel they can delay France at least, you might look at that draw 21 to 10 or if you think they might sneak something. I mean, France are the favourites and for all the reasons Michael's outlined, are the right favourites. But on price, I just think... It might be worth backing either the draw at 21 to 10 or Argentina draw no bet so you get your stake back if the game is drawn. Michael? I fancy a, a first goal scorer shout and uh, it's the favourite, it's, it's Griezmann. Um, but I just think when you look at how the two teams uh, line up, Argentina with the Mascherano in that deep position just look hapless kind of in where Griezmann will be operating and I think Giroud will do a really good job against the centre-backs just holding the ball up I think there'll be space for him um, so yeah it's, it's the obvious first goal scorer bet but uh, I think it's probably good value at uh, 51 to 10 nothing obvious about it I mean it'd be a lovely winner if that can come in so we've had at loggerheads here these two so we've got Michael going for, for Antoine Griezmann first goal scorer and Kev looking at the draw no bet market Argentina or just the draw at 21 to 10 the draw 29 to 20 draw no bet and as, as he says you get your stake back there if it is a draw Moving on now to Uruguay-Portugal, which we've touched on briefly, and I have a feeling this could be quite a quick one because I think you guys could agree on this one. I think everyone's expecting this to be a bit of a pantomime and not much football going on here. Uruguay are just about favourites at 15-8 to to win in 90 minutes. The draw, 2-1, to and Portugal, 21-10 to in the two-qualify market. So just straight who goes through, it's pretty even. I mean, it's, it's basically 10-11 to 11 each side with most firms. Uh, 1-8-8 and 19-20, to 20, best price on Uruguay and William Hill, do go even money on Portugal. I know where I stand here. I'll come to you first, Kev. Is that, is that fair? Is this a pick'em game or, or is there a favourite in your eyes? I think the one that I picked out was method of victory and you can back Portugal to win on penalties at 10 to 1 and Uruguay to win on penalties at, at 10 to 1. I, I could see it going uh, a long distance, this one, um, because, as you say, they're both combative, they're both solid. When you've got the talent up front, like Ronaldo at one end and Cavani and Suarez at the other. Obviously, you can have a moment that can change the game, but I just think there is a chance um, that it will become quite a, a cagey tactical battle, and so we could end up going quite deep into it. And 10-1 to 1 for, 
you know, Portugal or Uruguay to win it on penalties. I quite like that. So just split your stake and, and, and take the price combined. Yeah, or it. you could just go for the draw at two to one. Um, you know, if you think that's going to go to extra time, I think there's a good chance it will. Then that's what I'd be looking at, I think. Those 10 to ones are with Skybet. Michael, what, what do you fancy here? I slightly favour Uruguay. I think their defenders' experience of playing against Ronaldo in in, a, in La Liga could be important. Um, so yeah, I think if they're the same price, and I think Uruguay are just slightly better side, uh, better defensively, more likely to keep a clean sheet. So yeah, I'd favour Uruguay probably to qualify rather than in ninety minutes because I think it will be tight. Like Kev says, could go to extra time, could go to penalties. Nineteen to twenty. That is a one eight eight bet. You mentioned the possibility of a nil nil as well earlier, and. First rule of betting, if you're going to back nil-nil, back no goal scorer, especially in this World Cup because of all the own goals. That means if there is an own goal and it's 1-0, then you still get paid out on the no goal scorer market. Uh, unbelievably short, as you can imagine. As short as 4-1 to one in places <laughs> for, no, for no goal scorer here, which is absolutely crazy. That, that's shorter than it was last night in, in England-Belgium in a game that no one wanted to win. 11-2 um, is still out there with Sport Pisa. Um, I think that's probably where I'm going. I can't see uh, Uruguay conceding, I don't think. I think they've just looked so solid at the back and I still think Portugal... You know they've won. They've won one game in tournament football in their last, however many, including a European Cup win. So. I suppose the other thing with Uruguay is they were hoping that Jimenez would be past fit, and it looks as though he's going to be, and that's yeah. a, a huge boost for them because you have that club partnership at centre back then. So that could be important. If again, if you think it's going to be a pretty defence dominated yeah. game, then that will lend does, itself so to that. Often, I mean, despite, I mean, with Gimenez and, and, and Godin, you've got those two players, but even watching them does feel like you're watching Atleti at sometimes, where it's just the style of play, they're happy to concede possession for long spaces of the game, but they're also dangerous on the break. And you feel like that's served Simeone so well in tournament football in the past, as we've seen in the Champions League, that this could be a bit of a blueprint for their success. Yeah, it's going to be, I mean, it's, it, in many ways, as much as we think it could be quite dour and quite dull actually it's a fascinating kind of battle between attack and defense because you look at the attacking talent on both teams as well I suppose it could be down to who can unlock those you know respective attacking lines you know can Ronaldo get free and do what he does and can Cavani and Suarez find the space that they need to to score I mean Cavani Got his goal, which I think will help. Um, but I, he's had a terrific season for PSG, and we know what Suarez can do. So that's going to be, for me, the most fascinating part of that game. Kev, I'd have your goal line for PSG at about 19 and a half anyway. So I think anyone, <laughs> anyone, <laughs> anyone can do it. We'll go on to the third one now. Spain against Russia. Spain against the hosts. Spain are 5-8 to eight to win in 90 minutes, um, which, as you can tell maybe by my voice, I'm surprised that they're that, that big a price. Uh, the draw is 31-10, to 10, and Russia are 13-2. to two. Uh, in the to qualify market, we have Spain are the massive 130 on favourites. As short as two to seven elsewhere, that is standout with black type, and Russia 130 with Betfair Sportsbook. So, I mean, massive dis- uh, discrepancy in value there between Betfair and black type, both sticking their necks out for, for either other team. It's, it's a hard one to assess this with Spain, isn't it? Because they've played some lovely football. I mean, I personally think that Isco has pretty much been player of the tournament, despite playing in a, in a fairly ropey team. But they, they huff and they puff and they, they struggle to break down Iran. Um, they've drawn their other two games against Morocco and, and Portugal. I mean, how, how do you approach this game against a Russia team who are brilliant for two games and then obviously terrible against Uruguay? Yeah, it's a funny one with Spain. I do think they could be better against better sides uh, that come out and play a little bit. I'm not sure Russia will take the game to them, but I'm not sure that they'll park the bus as as Iran did, for example. I agree with you. I think Isco's been fantastic. And I think that combination down the left side of him, Iniesta and Jordi Alba overlapping will cause Russia real problems. 
I'm unconvinced by Russia. I, I think they had an easy group, um, which is why they, they looked impressive. But against Uruguay, they offered nothing really. Um, and I think Spain will qualify. Uh, and I think at that price in 90 minutes, I mean, I'm amazed they're that high. They, they, so they, am I. <laughs> I just said miles better team than Russia. Um, home advantage, obviously, for Russia, but not much else, in my opinion. I think from a betting point of view, I'd be looking at over two and a half goals. I was surprised to see that trade in it. I think it was six to five, I saw it. Um, Spain had been defensively suspect, conceded three against Portugal, two against Morocco. They gave up chances against Iran, which Iran didn't make the most of. Um, And Russia, you know, you would expect Spain to make plenty of chances against them. I agree with Michael. I think they've taken advantage of a pretty weak group. Uh, They were smacked against Uruguay, had a bit of bad luck with the own goal, but you know, look quite lethargic against Uruguay. So I think, you know, I'm surprised that's odds against, so I'd be looking at overs. Yeah, six to five is the over two and a half. I've knocked your bets together and come out with one as well. Spain and over two and a half is nine to five with Labrooks and Coral, which does seem like a decent price because if there are going to be over two and a half goals, you'd expect that. To mean that probably the goals are going in one goal rather than the other, I would say. Um, I think it's unlikely that you'll, we'll see a goal fest with Russia coming out on top. Although, I mean... With this Spain team in World Cups, you never know in the last couple of years. But I suppose the other thing as well is that you would think that the crowd would mean that Russia wouldn't be allowed to give up, if you like. So even if Spain make a decent start, you would think Russia will keep pushing to try and get back in it. And that will either lead to a Russian goal or space for Spain to counter-attack. So I would think it will become quite open at some stage. That space that Spain haven't really had so far in the the World Cup and, and definitely would profit from rattling through these now because we don't want to make this a two-hour podcast um, <laughs> we've, we've sat enough we sat through enough dross last night um croatia against denmark is the fourth that is on sunday evening at seven o'clock create croatia unsurprisingly the 10 to 11 favorites to win a 90 the draw is around about the nine to four mark in denmark best price with bet 365 at nine to two in the to qualify market as well we have croatia our heavy heavy favorites at two to five and denmark 21 to 10 with paddies Again, with, with Croatia, I mean, they've been fantastic. And I think we, arguably, I would say they've been the best team so far in the competition. Um, but in Denmark, are they, are they going to come up against a team who will maybe be quite hard to break down? Yeah, I think so. I mean, Croatia, clearly the better team. Their midfield talents are quite phenomenal. Maybe the best left in the competition alongside Spain. I have reservations about Croatia kind of based upon past tournaments where they've often looked really, really good at the group stage. Remember Euro 2016, I yeah. thought. At yeah. the end of the group stage, they were probably the best team in the competition. Um, and then they bombed in the knockout stage. So I just have a bit of a reservation, maybe about mentality, maybe against you know a, a less talented side that I think are more organised and good on the counter-attack. So I think Croatia are the favourites to win, but I'm surprised they're odds on. I wouldn't be going near them at odds on. I'd, I'd probably be back in the draw in 90 minutes. So is it, would that be your, your, your bet for the game? Yeah. So draw. The, bet, the draw in 90 minutes, uh, best price, 117 to 50, if that's the price with my open bet. <laughs> uh, generally, it's around about the 9 to 4 mark if you want that in English. Uh, Kev, what are you after? See, I would be leaning towards that 10 to 11. Me and Michael are never going to get on. Never going to get on. <laughs> uh, the, the good uh, thing is, if you keep saying opposite things, then there's going to be a winner in there somewhere. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, that was the plan all along. <laughs> I, I just think Denmark... I thought they were quite poor against Peru, gave up quite a few chances against Peru that they didn't make the most of. They faded against Australia, they made a really good start against mm. Australia and then faded quite badly against Australia on top. quite a limited team. Yeah. Um, so I was surprised about that. The game against France doesn't tell us a huge amount, um, but I haven't been impressed with them at all. And I just think from what we've seen of Croatia so far, 
at 10 to 11, even though it's odds on, I do quite fancy that. I've been really, really pleased that Ante Rebic has done so well because I've covered him a lot in Germany. He's done ever so well for Eintracht Frankfurt over the last couple of seasons. We've seen him grow and managed to channel some of that fury. Still does a few naughty things now and again. <laughs> um, but he's a real volcano. But, you know, great technique for the goal against Argentina. He regularly affects the game. I like him a lot. And he's 3-1 to one to score at any time. So I quite like the, like the look of that. Any time goal score there, 3-1, to one, Croatia, 10-11 to 11 favourites. I have to agree, I think that there is a bit of juice in that price, especially with Rakitic having had that rest last week and Modric currently looking like the player that we all know he is, one of the world's elite. Uh, Brazil, Mexico now for a, uh, a, I mean, a, f- a fascinating clash in my eyes. And Brazil, the very, very short favourites to come out of this on top in 90 minutes. 8-15, to 15, they are best price. The draw, 13-4. to four, And Mexico, 7-1. to one. The, the, the conquerors of Germany, 7-1 to go and do it again against Brazil uh, in the to-qualify market to go through to the quarterfinals. We've got Brazil at four on, and Mexico are 7-2 with Paddy Power and Betfair. Uh, I am surprised, given that we've seen the, I think the, the, both the tactical um, nous to beat a, a decent team and also just the general individual quality that Mexico have to see them at such a big price. Yeah, I agree completely. I mean, Brazil are the favourites here, but they've struggled to score goals, basically. They've struggled to break down teams. I think Mexico do have a, a couple of uh, defensive issues, and then Moreno suspended um, for two bookings, which I think is a big blow. But I just haven't seen enough from Brazil in the attacking third to think that they're going to win the game comfortably or even win the game in 90 minutes. So I think 13-4, to four, again, for a draw. Sorry to go for a draw again, but I do think there's a lot of these games that will be tighter than we've seen so far. Um, and, and lots of the big teams struggling to break down you know, well-organised defences. Don't make any plans after the 7 o'clock games because it looks like we're going to be going to extra time <laughs> a lot here. Although I'm enjoying the 7 o'clockers, so I keep ending up in bed at 9.30 thinking it's a 7.45 <laughs> kickoff, and suddenly I realise that it's 45 minutes early. It's great. Um, Kev, what, what do you think here? Brazil vulnerable favourites, or do you think they're going to be able to, to march past Mexico? I think it'll be interesting to see what Mexico's approach is, uh, how much that defeat to Sweden has damaged them. Um, but I think they might get space for a few counter-attacks, and they've been so dangerous with Lozano, with Vela, uh, with Chicharito. I was looking at both teams to score at 6-5, to because I just wonder... I would think Mexico would get some chances. It'll be a question of whether they can take them. And I was a little surprised that was odds against, as, as good defensively as Brazil have been. Just wonder if Mexico might get a bit of space to operate with that front three if they can. I mean, you look at what they did to Germany. Germany decided to play at this tournament with no midfield, which is very curious. Um, I was amazed with the space. That, it was a real shock. I yeah. work in Germany a lot. Mm. I was caught up in the same kind of hubris and you know complacency that they were. That, that I couldn't believe how bad they were. I know the signs have been there in the friendlies, but um, I think there was just a feeling they'd be able to turn it on, but it was so bad against Mexico. Um, so I wouldn't expect Brazil to be that bad, but I think Mexico will make chances to 6-5 to five appeals, I think. 6-5, to five, that is, with William Hill, BTTS, yes. Now on to the, the, the victors of last night's thriller, uh, Belgium, who topped the group uh, in glory and therefore get their reward of playing Japan in the next round. 4-9, to nine. Belgium are uh, the draw four to one. Japan are nine to one with Betfair Sportsbook. Uh, Belgium, another team, I think, because of the, the state of the group of, of England's group, it's hard to assess how strong these teams are. Surely, yeah, I've been quite impressed by Belgium. To be fair, I think they've got some tactical weaknesses with their three four three system. I'm not sure Japan will expose them. I, I personally think Japan are probably the most overrated side left in the competition. I think they play very neat technical football. They've got a couple of really 
attractive, good uh, technical players. Um, but they've only impressed against a Colombian side that were down to 10 men for 87 minutes, yeah. I think. Um, Inui's a threat on the left flank, but I think um, Munio should be able to deal with him. So I'd be going, uh, I'd be going Belgium 4-9 without question. Yeah, I, I quite like Belgium 1.5 on the Asian handicap. Um, you know, them to win by a couple of goals, I can see that. Um, because I think that would probably be odds against, I would think. Um, I, I, I like Japan. I, I thought they showed, you know, great determination, an admirable fight back to come back against Senegal in the way that they did. But as Michael says, you, you can't, it's difficult to judge what they did against Colombia. And I just think a lot of their forward players are so inconsistent. You look at guys like Yuyo Osako, Yoshinori Muto played in the third game. You just never quite know what you're going to get from them. It's such a, you know, they're up and down a lot. They, they, I've seen them a lot in Germany and sometimes they're great, sometimes they're hopeless. So I just think Belgium will be far, far stronger. It's interesting that they might, I mean, worked out in the end, but rested half their best players yesterday for a game which they kind of, before the match, looked like they needed to win and they only got through on, on yellow cards. I thought, that. I thought that was a bizarre approach. <laughs> Honestly, can't get my head around that. No. It was, like you say, it was literally their best players but, as but well. They, and they didn't even bring in someone like Honda who was, who was, he's been coming off the bench and is one of their, it was just, get rid of all the, all the names. Uh, it, yeah. no it was Cam- such no a gamble. No in New Year. Which is appropriate for this, but it was, <laughs> it, it was, it was bizarre to do it, to, to make that decision um, to play in the way that they did so far out from the final whistle when anything could have happened in the other game <laughs> yeah. was utterly bizarre. And, yeah, and you kind of go back to you know, the coaching problems before the tournament. Um, Nishino's done okay, but I, I, I just think that was a very, very odd decision. Uh, and it kind of, you know, is he the man to come up with the master plan to beat Belgium? No, I wouldn't have thought Well, so. he's got the master plan to get them this far so far, but you know, making sure that Senegal got those couple of yellow cards in injury time in the, in the second game. Amazing how that's happened. Uh, the, I think they're the first team to be knocked out just on, on fair play. So uh, sad news that for the Senegalese, who I thought were fantastic personally. Um, we've got about 10 minutes to rattle through these last two and look at the outright market. So we'll get straight on to Switzerland. Sweden, uh, the winner of this tie will face Colombia or England in the, in the quarterfinals. Switzerland, 7-4 favourites in 90 minutes. The draw, 2-1. to one. Sweden are 11-5 to five in the TQ market. It's a bit tighter than some of the other ones we've discussed. Switzerland, 5-6 to six best price with black type. And uh, 188 are just about the only firm to go a shade of odds against at 10-9 to nine on Sweden. Um, for me, there's, there's a clear value in this, in this market, but I'll leave it up to you two experts to tell me where it is. I was thinking draw at 2-1. to one. Um, I think they're both... Well, I would say they're both quite solid, but I was quite shocked by uh, how poor Switzerland were against Costa Rica mm. at times, especially the way they started the game. They were very, very shaky. Um, but I like the coach. I like Vladimir Petkovic and what he's done um, in knitting this group together. Uh, there's a lot of reliable, solid players in there. There's a couple of players missing. Lichsteiner and Scher, I think that's a blow for Switzerland. Sweden have surprised me because I thought they came into it. We knew they were very solid. We knew what they'd done to Italy in the playoff. I thought they'd be heavily reliant on Emil Forsberg, who's had a dreadful season yeah. for Leipzig in the Bundesliga. And yet they've managed to score their goals. They've managed to, to find a way through. So I find Sweden a bit of a, a baffling prospect, really. <laughs> 
I quite like Sweden, actually. I, I think they play really basic football, but they do it in an organised way. I think they're, they're going back a few months now, but their playoff victories over Italy were actually really impressive. Mm. Like, yeah. Italy, I don't think a dreadful side, but Sweden outplayed them, and they do very basic things. They box teams in well. When they play long ball, there's three men behind, you know, always getting the second balls. Um, I think I would back them here. Maybe not in 90 minutes. I think that price for the draw seems really attractive in a game between two sides who don't have a striker between them as far as I'm concerned but I, I just about back Sweden to go through maybe uh, extra time maybe penalties but I think they're slightly better team than Switzerland so the draw is two to one I'm not going to say what I thought the value was now because it's embarrassing because I've been told otherwise by these two I was, I was looking at that five to six TQ Sweden sorry Switzerland put a line through that on my account now because I, I think you guys have persuaded me otherwise that this is going to be a tenth one two to one the draw as I say ten to nine uh, to, uh, Sweden to qualify and I'll have a quick look at the method of victory market as well for Sweden in extra time or penalties Sweden in extra time is Sweden penalties is 19 to 2 that's with sporting bet and Sweden in extra time is 12 to 1 with sky bet on to the final one and certainly the one that I think will be getting the most interest over here and wow, these are pretty interesting prices if you haven't already seen them or heard about them. England are six to five favourites to win in 90 minutes. The draw is 23 to 10. Colombia are 41 to three or even so just a shade bigger than three to one. That's with the Unibet. Quick myth busting before we start with this where people think this is, these are the prices just because we are in England. I mean, they're, they may shift towards the, the time of the event, but all these prices are, are will normally come from the exchange market on Betfair and there's so much liquidity either side that if there was any uh, patriotism that moved the price it would be gobbled up by people much richer than myself who would be happy to lay the price out to what it, what the fair price is so realistically this is being seen as, as England being heavy heavy favourites not just to go through but to win this in 90. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think Colombia have got defensive weaknesses. Um, they depend so much upon the recovery pace of Davinson Sanchez, who's had one really good game and one shocking game. Um, I think there's issues on the right side of their um, defence. They used this really strange system yesterday against um, Senegal, where the right-back, uh, Arias, was coming into midfield and Cuadrado was coming back into right-back to get the ball and yeah, yeah. moves kept breaking down. Um, I think England have gaps defensively as well and I think of all the games, this could be one where there are goals. So I think it could be entertaining and I think it's right that England are just about favourites. I think the uh, the running of Lingard in particular could be tricky for Colombia to, to deal with. In the, in the TQ market, to qualify, England are 3-5, to five, that's with Unibet and Colombia 8-5 um, to five with, with Betway. I think, I think that price of 3-1... to one, Seems a little big. I would have it. I think England are rightly the favourites, but they seem a little too short for me. Looking simply at the market, based on what, based on their tournament record in general, yeah. based on the fact that yes, they got two impressive wins, but they were against you know the weakest teams in the group. Um, the Belgium game hasn't taught us very much at all. Um, so I think England are favourites, but those prices, you know, Colombia look too big to me. Um, but I think Michael's right. I think there'll be goals. I can see England giving up chances, as they have done uh, throughout the group stage. Uh, so both teams to score is 5-4. to four, And I quite like the look of that. Both teams score 5-4. England and over 2.5, to 16-5. That, again, is with Labrooks or Coral. And if you put them together, so match result and both teams for England and both teams to score, you're getting 19-4 to four with Stars, which looks fairly decent price if they are 11-10 to 10 because, as we say, England do look frail at the back. We'll wrap it up quickly with the last two markets and 
before we get to the big question of who is the current value to win the World Cup, we'll have a quick look at the top goal scoring market where Harry Kane, despite not getting off the bench yesterday on five goals as the 15 to 8 favourite with Bet Stars, Romelu Lukaku is uh, nine to, five to one, sorry, with Betway, Cristiano Ronaldo, 11 to two. Those two are tied on four with Diego Costa, 17 to two. And it looks like a four horse race with Neymar at 30 to one and then 40 to one bar. Any thoughts on this one? I tipped Lukaku pre-tournament, um, so I'll stick with him. I'm on. Uh, obviously, um, you know, he picked up that injury, so that's a concern. But I think, you know, I'd ex- if he does play against Japan, I'd expect him to score possibly multiple goals. Um, I'm a big, big fan of his proven goal scorer in the Premier League. Um, very much a favourite of Roberto Martinez. Um, so I, li- I like the look of that 5-1 to one steal. I was going to say the same, actually, and I wouldn't be at all concerned by his uh, injury, in inverted <laughs> commas. I think that was very convenient that he, Hazard and Mertens were all out injured. You so. old cynic, Mike. Yeah, and I th- as I've said before, I don't, I don't fancy Japan much. I think you could get a couple there. I think we can all agree that Japan may be a flat track, and, uh, and I know that Romelu Lukaku certainly enjoys playing on those. Um, <laughs> finally, the winner market. We, we went through the price at the beginning. I'll go through, the, through them again now. And then I want you each to give me your bet at the current prices before we wrap up. So Brazil, 15 to 4. Spain, 19 to 4. Belgium, 15 to 2. England, 8 to 1. France, 9 to 1. Croatia, 12 to 1. Argentina, still 14 to 1. Uh, Colombia, 25 to 1. Uruguay, 25 to 1. Portugal, the European champions, 28, 28 to 1. And I'm going to stop there because I'd be surprised if either of you come up with one outside of those. Okay. Looking value, I'd go Croatia at 12 to 1. Um... I think they're capable of beating the teams in in their half of the draw. I know Spain are in there, but uh, I just have been so impressed by them. Michael's absolutely right to point out that they have thrown in a meltdown in tournaments before, Um, but I've just been hugely impressed with them. And I just wonder if this is their time. You know, they haven't had, um, you know, Zlatko Dalic, the coach, has managed to calm things down. uh, And I just think they've got a strong squad as well. They've got a range of options uh, in attack, I really like the look of them. Michael? I go Spain at 19-4. Um, I think they've done really well to get Russia in the next round. And much as I do like Croatia, I'm not sure Croatia can outplay Spain. You know, I think Spain are the one side that Croatia's possession football won't worry, that Spain can raise their game. And that's the kind of game Spain want. They don't want to be playing against a park bus. They want a bit of a ticky-tacky game. So I think it's quite a generous price for a side who could have a pretty easy run to the final. So Michael's going for Spain, who are 19-4 with Sporting Bet. Kev is going for Croatia, who are 12-1 to 1, pretty much across the board. You can find all of these prices and all these markets on the Oddchecker site. We have everything and all the bookies to make sure you get the best price for your bet. And if you're having an ACA, make sure you use our bet builder as well. So you can click on the little plus by each market and you can see the accumulative ACA price growing. If you want my tip for this one, it's still Uruguay. I mean, I've backed them at 25-1 to 1 pre-tournament and they are... 25 to 1 so it's hard to uh, <laughs> it's hard to really get away from that even though they're yet to really get near conceding a goal and I think they'll be I think they'll qualify pretty easily past Portugal and then we'll see what they're really made of thanks so much guys for, for joining us cheers Michael and, and cheers Kev um, you've been fantastic guests and hopefully there's a few winners between there make sure again you look at our site um, and, and stay tuned I'm sure we'll be doing another podcast before the final <laughs>